Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. How do we awaken white Americans to racism's damage to democracy? We'll talk about that in a moment. Also, Malcolm Nance will be with us at the bottom of the hour. He just came back from Ukraine. He's got a new book out, They're Willing to Kill Americans. We'll, we'll discuss those issues. So a lot to cover here. Also, will Joe Biden declare a climate emergency to get around Joe Manchin? I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. So a lot to talk about. Let's start with my op-ed today over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Can America Pull Off a Second Reconstruction? And what got me started on this, what got me thinking about this, was the fact that in 2005, every single Republican in the United States Senate voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. Every single one. And then in 2013, when it came up again, none of them did. What happened between 2005 and 2013 that caused every single Republican in the Senate to suddenly say, no, we don't need to protect black people's right to vote? My hypothesis, and I think I, I defend it well in this argue, uh, article, and I, I will defend that argument right now with you, is uh, Barack Obama. What happened was we elected our first black president. Now, to understand the context and, and the importance of this, let's step into the Wayback Machine together and go back to 18, uh, 1868. It's, uh, you know, in the years after the end of the Civil War, Reconstruction is going on. The South is occupied by Northern troops. And black people are allowed to vote for the first time in the history of the Republic in many of these states. There were some black people who were voting in Northern states, uh, specific, particularly Delaware, um, uh, it, you know, after the American Revolution. But by and large, by the 1820s, 1830s, even in those northern states, they were prevented from voting. Certainly, they had never had the right to vote in the South. And so what happened between 18, 1868 and 1877, basically, was that a large number of African Americans got elected to positions of political office. Over 1,500 African American men were elected uh, sheriffs, mayors, city council, uh, state legislatures. Uh, there were over 600 African-American men during that period of time, during that 10-year period from 1866 to 1876. Over 600 African-American men elected to state legislatures and 17 African-American men elected to the U.S. House and Senate, one to the Senate and 16 to the, to the House. This then produced in 1876 such an intense white backlash that in the election, and we've discussed this before in this program, the Rutherford Hayes versus uh, Sam Tilden election of 1876, even though Sam Tilden won the majority of the popular vote and the, and the majority of the electoral college votes, 
Rutherford Hayes ended up president. How did that happen? Well, it, they cut a deal to stab black people in the back, to end Reconstruction, which, by the way, was what Tilden wanted to do. Tilden was the Democrat. He was like the pro-slavery Democrat, and he, he wanted to end Reconstruction, but the Republicans didn't want a Democrat in the White House after they had just fought the Civil War basically against the Democrats, the, you know, the, the southern states back then. So the deal they worked out was that the Republican would stab black people in the back in exchange for letting him occupy the White House. That, uh, it's sometimes referred to as the Compromise of 1877, because uh, it happened, I mean, the election was 1876, but it happened in January, the following, you know, the, the two months later. It wasn't a compromise. It was a deal to sell out black people, period, full stop. And it was the, there was the response to white people being triggered by 1,500 black people holding elective office in a 10-year period. So Reconstruction came to a dead stop in 1877. The Northern troops were withdrawn from the South by 1878. And in 1896, the Supreme Court put this into law with their Plessy versus Ferguson decision, which said that uh, separate but equal, that, that black people uh, in theory had equal rights under the law, but not in practice. And that, of course, then started you know, a, a half a century of, of black voter suppression or so voter suppression against black people. Which brings us to 1964, 65 and 63, uh, basically that, that period, the Kennedy and Johnson administrations, with the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, several other pieces of legislation that, that confirmed the right of black people to vote in the United States. You combine that with the 1965 law that changed our racial quotas for immigration and what started happening in the 1960s and really hit its stride in 2008, which is what I'm building up to here, what started happening was the browning of America. There was no longer a ban on black and brown people immigrating into the United States. So you, so you had a, uh, you know, the, the ratio of, uh, prior to that, uh, over 90% of all immigrants were white. Prior to 1965, I believe it was. And after that, you know, it, it changed. Uh, the majority of immigrants were not white. On top of that, you had black people voting in significant numbers. I mean, really huge numbers. You had, you know, like fewer than 7% of black people in Mississippi were even registered to vote because they couldn't prior to the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Afterwards, that number crept up into the 30s and 40%, in, just in the decade afterwards. So... What happened then was that by 2008, America is browning. I mean, keep in mind, this right now, uh, we have an equal, roughly equal number of black and brown kids coming into elementary school as white kids. The, the baby ratio changed about five years ago. And in 2008, this is the point. Prior to 2008, again, in 2005, every Republican in the Senate voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. In 2013, every Republican in the Senate voted no. What happened? Barack Obama got elected president in 2008. That black man in the White House triggered the white racists across the United States who have concentrated themselves and their power in the Republican Party, triggered them so badly that the Republican Party's official position became, oh my God, voter fraud stopped the black people from voting. So here we are again. We are in what I'm referring to as our second era of reconstruction. I realize that, you know, the, the word reconstruction had a very specific meaning, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of redefining it here to mean a pluralistic multiracial democracy. We tried it for 10 years, arguably 12 years, back in the 1860s and 1870s, and then the white backlash killed it. We tried it again between 1965 and now, and eight years of a black man in the White House produced this mind-boggling white backlash that we saw in the Tea Parties and all these other efforts. And, you know, now you've got hundreds, literally hundreds of laws have been passed in the last, in the last decade 
and particularly in the last couple of years, making it harder for people to vote, particularly minorities, particularly people of color. So, you know, the good news is that we are still in this period of uh, our second reconstruction. And the good news is also that the kids going into school right now, about half of them are people of color. And the good news is that the Zoomer generation, you know, we had Sam Lawrence on this show a week or two ago, a 19-year-old who's running for his state legislature. He's got a, a, a friend who's, who's 17 who's also running for a state legislature. In fact, we should get him on. And uh, he'll be 18 this, this, you know, before the election. And so we've got a generation coming up that is multiracial and that wants to embrace multiracial democracy. So what do we do? How do we pull this thing off? I think it's inevitable, number one. What we're seeing is the last gasps, although they're, they're pretty damn violent gasps of white supremacy and, you know, supremacist ideology. But I think it's entirely possible that this second reconstruction could actually be the moment when America truly becomes a pluralistic multiracial democracy. Or the GOP will prevail and we'll go back to separate but equal. What do you think? Chris in Littleton, Colorado. Hey, Chris, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. Um, Biden needs to do a presidential emergency order to enforce his climate legislation. I'm with you. Because the re Republicans will only sabotage it, and the fossil fuel industries will destroy the whole entire planet for profit. And we only have a few short years and uh, a few degrees of global warming left to go before we face like really severe disaster. I agree. I, I completely agree. And I think that this is probably one of the most important issues of our time. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to rant about it on the other side of this break. Uh, and I think also they should stop subsidizing the fossil fuels and tax carbon directly and, and then subsidize the green energy. Yeah, I'm with you. And that might be something that he can do if he declares a climate emergency. Although I guarantee you, every th if, he, when he declare, if he declares a climate emergency, absolutely every step he tries to, to take will be litigated. The Republicans will sue, uh, particularly the Republican Attorney General's Association, which is holding a huge gala fundraiser uh, this weekend, or this week. It started on Sunday. It's running through, I think, today. And, uh, you know, there's some and some of the biggest corporations in America are just pouring money into this group. And uh, uh, RAGA with the, the Republican Attorney General's Association was also one of the groups that was uh, literally running robocalls, encouraging people to come to the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, these these are, are dangerous nutcases, but they they are totally in the pocket of the fossil fuel billionaires and they will do everything they can to stop it. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot other, for the call. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, I was just saying, every person could buy an electric car, and they could heat their home with green energy, and they could divest from fossil fuels. Well, we can all do what we can. I, there, are, you know, there are certainly financial barriers for many people, but, but hey, electric cars are a lot, a hell of a lot cheaper to maintain. They have very, you know, radically fewer moving parts. And to operate, you know, it costs six, eight bucks to, to, to get 200 miles out of an electric car on a charge. You, and, and, you can you know, pay for your car with what you save on gas. Absolutely. Depending on how much you drive, but absolutely. Chris, thank you very much for the call. Kirk in uh, Los Angeles. Hey, Kirk, what's up? Hey, uh, Tom, I was hoping to get your take on the fact that it occurred to me the other day that the January 6th mob was really heavily armed, but they didn't have guns. Actually, and they did. A, uh, there was a number of, yeah, right the, the, the very first guy who got prosecuted, and in fact, Rachel Maddow kicked off her show with this story. The very first guy who got prosecuted was carrying a Ruger on his hip when he attacked the Capitol. Oh, okay. Uh, and there were, there oh, were a bunch of guns. My, there my were a bunch of guns there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, All right, I have one more thing. I think last week you said that Marcos's daughter was the vice president. I think maybe you just misspoke, but Marcos's son is the president in the Philippines now. Oh, thank you. And it's Duterte's daughter who is oh, the vice Duterte's president. Oh, it's Duterte's daughter. Thank you. Yes, I had that mixed yeah. up. You're absolutely right. But, you know, okay, the new dynastic families. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, you know, this was Trump's fever dream, right? That Don Jr. would follow him into the White House. Not going to work out so well, I don't think. We'll be right back. I got to tell you about the climate emergency. Stick around. We'll be right back with you.
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. So uh, over a thousand people now dead in Europe as a heat wave is sweeping the continent. In England, only 3% of homes are air-conditioned. In France, it's only 5% of homes are air-conditioned. They are not prepared for this. And they're getting the kind of weather that we got here last summer, where for three days in a row here in Oregon, it was 116 degrees, and that spread all the way up toward Canada. Uh, Dante's Inferno is how it's described uh, by uh, Pacalolo over at dailycoes.com. And I think it's an, an apt description if you've ever read Dante's Inferno. So what do we do? I mean, Joe Manchin blew up a good, solid piece of legislation that would have dealt with the climate emergency. He ended it. Why? Well, I think for a series of fairly obvious reasons. Number one, he's a narcissistic psychopath. Number two, he's on the take. Joe Manchin has gotten more money from the fossil fuel industry than any other member of the Senate ever in the history of the United States. And number three, he thinks this is going to sell in West Virginia, where there's only 11,000 coal jobs left. The major employer in West Virginia now is the healthcare industry. But anyhow, Tony Rahm and Jeff Stein are reporting over at the Washington Post that according to three confidential sources inside the White House, President Biden is thinking of declaring a climate emergency. Now, declaring a climate emergency, and, and, and Jeff Merkley is calling for this. He said, this is an important moment. There's probably nothing more important for our nation and our world than for the United States to drive a bold energetic transition in its uh, energy economy from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And he added, this is, you know, my Senator Jeff Merkley, he said, this also unchains the president from waiting for Congress to act. Keep in mind, Congress has not passed a significant piece of climate change legislation in 30 years. Every single effort, Bill Clinton's energy tax in 1993, Barack Obama's energy climate bill in 2009, Biden's clean energy investments in 2022, all were blocked by Republicans in the United States Senate with a filibuster. Every single one. Now, Canada declared a climate emergency three years ago. We can, too. And if Biden declares a climate emergency, it triggers, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, and the uh, New York University School of Law, it triggers almost 136 different laws that give special powers to the president. We're just beginning to find out what these are. Oil leases, for example, are required to have clauses allowing them to be suspended during national emergencies. This would be an emergency. The president has emergency powers to respond to industrial shortfalls in national emergencies, so he could promote the expansion of battery and electric vehicle production, for example and other critical industries, you know, solar, solar and wind. The Secretary of Transportation has the power to coordinate transportation during national emergencies, so he could put restrictions on car and truck use that are running on gas and diesel. The President has, can invoke the International Emergency Economic Powers Act to deal with, quote, any unusual and extraordinary threat which has its source in whole or substantial part outside the United States. According to the Brennan Center, this, quote, confers broad authority to regulate financial and other commercial transactions involving designated entities, including the power to impose sanctions on individuals and industries. There's a lot that could happen. Keep an eye on this. And you may even want to call the White House comment line at 202-456-1111 and say, yes, declare a climate emergency. The Republicans will sue. It will get tied up in court, but it's a start. 
Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind? Well, I was thinking about the climate change things that are going on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really concerns me is the water table in our country. We have Lake Mead, which has almost nearly disappeared, right where it stands. And we have these bottling companies just scarfing up and depleting all our water table for the whole country. What The water that's under me and the water that's under you, it belongs to everybody in this country. Yeah. But they're bottling it and selling it back to us in horrible plastic bottles. And I know this will be a hard thing because people don't want to give that up. But there's wells that are going dry and places yeah. that if this, if this I, I, I'm with you, Joan, and up. I think the most effective way to, to push back against this is to point out to people that there can be up to 10,000 microscopic particles of plastic in a single bottle of bottled water, and microplastics like that damage your body. Do you really want that stuff in your body? Just drink tap water. Joan, thank you very much. Thank you. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Yeah, I consider myself a uh, historian light. I never w went to school for it, but I self-taught myself. All these problems that you hear, if you go back in history, right, we had that war, the Civil War, and through every movie I've ever seen, the same edict comes out. This war will never end, the North against the South. And if you look at the politics now, it's still the same. Mm -hmm. You know, the, South, the, the Southern politicians go after the North for abortion because they know it ticks us off. So they push for 50 years to take a law right away. Well, I think it's also that they that they're they're freaked out about uh, the reproduction rate of white people in the United States. It's actually lower than it is for black and Hispanics, and and they're trying to change that. I, I think that there's a, a certain amount of white supremacist uh, ideology at work here as well. Yes, we were a vast open stance of land, and we came over here, and they they pushed the Indians back which allowed the uh, opportunists from England with the money to come over here and invest and get very wealthy. Yeah. And then they decided, well, let's get some free labor. We'll bring some Africans over. And we'll have some free labor. And that will increase our profits. And you got a free labor. Yeah, it's been crazy right-wing capitalism for way too long. Uh, Corky, thank you. Thank you. Well said. Gregory in North Hollywood. Hey, Gregory, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. Great to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> in response to can America pull off a second reconstruction, mm -hmm. I think the first step to that would be to make good on our promise of reparations. The promise um, from the, the 1860s. Uh, 40 yeah. acres and a mule. That's right. I'm a veteran, and uh, since I exited the military, I've, I've earned a college education at no cost to me, and I've also got into a home with no down payment. This has put me squarely into the middle class. That's no small achievement these days. Yeah. I think this is all due to the GI Bill. I say extend the GI Bill to all descendants of African-American slaves and give them their reparations. Oh, that's an Maybe elegant solution. Just amend the GI Bill to say, not only are veterans eligible for all these benefits, but so are any descendants. You get into this kind of crazy gray area where people are debating who's, who's the descendant of slavery and who isn't. But, but I, don't I don't have a have clue an how to that. solve that problem either. Certainly sacrificed. They've sacrificed more for this country and they've served this country more than about any group of people I can think of. Yeah, generations serving as enslaved persons is certainly higher in the we put some effort into this country list than just you know enlisting in the army for a couple of years. I'm with you. Gregory, right. thank you. That, that, that's, a, that's a great idea. I like that. So a little bit of breaking news here. There was an explosion at the Hoover Dam outside of Las Vegas today. No idea yet why, whether this was just, you know, sometimes stuff happens. You know, this, is, this dam was built in the 30s, 
it's in the power generating station where the explosion is happening, or if it was an act of sabotage or terrorism or domestic terrorism or whatever. I mean, we just don't know yet. But this could be very consequential for power. I mean, it's, it's also possible that, you know, this, this is supplying power to the Southwest. I think the power goes as far as Los Angeles. I could be wrong, but uh, certainly to Las Vegas. It could be that the, the insane heat has just, you know, maxed out the turbine capacity and caused it to implode. I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out, but uh, just FYI. Keep an eye on it. Okay, let's try Susan in Caldwell, Idaho. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Hi, I'm an Idahoan who's not a Republican. Good and on I you. know they're coming after me. And it's not just because their platforms, what you described, it's worse than you thought. They want to take our bilateral redistricting commission for every 10 years when we do that after the census. Mm -hmm. They're going to kick the Democrats off. The rule is anybody who hasn't had any party that hasn't had a statewide official for 10 years can't participate. Well, we haven't had a statewide Democrat officer since 2002. OK. Wow. And I try reaching out to my party. They are only interested in their little stronghold pockets of Ada County, a.k.a. Boise, mm -hmm. their pockets in eastern Idaho, where the National Energy Laboratory is where there are federal employees and a few up north near Lewiston. Right. They will not talk to anybody from any counties where there is no, what do you call, critical mass of us. Right. And we have a situation in our state where since 2016, these militia groups have been actively accosting our lawmakers in the legislative house during our session. You know, Every one of them, you name a group, they've been there doing it. And you remember our last Democratic Senator, Frank Church, the, mm -hmm. the, the man who took on the CIA in 1976? Yep, the Church Commission. Well, our local um, public university has a public affairs institute, the Frank Church Institute at Boise State University. They did a survey this past year. 59% of my fellow Idahoans expect to see political violence like we had on January 6th. And one in six of them think it's justified under certain circumstances. These are uh, findings from this non-political institute. And last year, Charlie Kirk floated through our area and held a, a, a session at a local evangelical university where a guy got up and asked, when can I take my gun and start shooting those people? I remember. And, and he was surprised when people objected to his statement. This is what we're living with. And uh, your last caller, I think that fleeing is the only option. My husband refuses to take up arms. My husband is a sniper from the U.S. Army, and he will not take up arms against these people. He says it's not worth it, and I can't. I don't do guns. I'm afraid of them. I'm just going to have to leave. There's no other option. Yeah. They don't want us here, and they don't want they don't want us here. In so, other words. so we're seeing then the balkanization of America, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. And remember, you know that concept of the American readout. We are like ground zero for that, especially yeah. the northern part of our state. Yeah. There's no room for anybody else. Yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Susan. It's it's um, it, it's it's not an optimistic note to uh, to end the call on. But wow, you know, I can't I can't just you know lay some fluffy stuff on you. It, it, we we are facing some really tough times and some really determined bullies. And oh yeah, you know, it's well, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Susan, thank you for the call. Karen in New Orleans. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, I don't use the Internet, but I remember Rachel saying, and you need to check it out for me because I don't use the Internet, is there will be no investigation of a presidential candidate during the year of an, a presidential election. And if that's the case, then that just means 2024. It was far more nuanced than that. It was, uh, I thought it was declared candidates, number one. And number two, it was that uh, to avoid the appearance of political, uh, you know, witch hunt kind of activity, that there will be no investigation without the attorney general signing off on it. Uh, yeah. I heard that. And that's a huge if, you know. 
That's exactly right. Um, well, I, I, like I say, I can't check it out, but it, it just seems like that's the way Rachel said it. And yeah. No, I've, I've it. read it. I, 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 you know, and like I said, I've, I've read the Rachel perspective on this, and I, I have tremendous respect for Rachel Maddow. She's an old colleague of mine. We work together on Air America Radio. All um, right. And, you know, I know her and I, or somewhat, and she's a hero of mine, in fact. I mean, she's just an extraordinary person. So I have, you know, a lot of respect for her opinion. And if she puts something on the air, I take it very, very seriously. On the other hand, I've also read the counterfactual of that, you know, which is probably the best articulation of it. I think it's posted over on Daily Kos. And, in fact, I can tell you the, the headline is, uh, yeah, here it is. This is Mark Sumner wrote this. And Mark Sumner is somebody who I have tremendous respect for, too. And it's titled, Why That Merrick, Merrick Garland Memo That Has People So Angry Is Actually a Good Thing. And, you know, his point is that this is an attempt to strip the politics out of the Justice Department after it had been corrupted during the Trump administration. And because this was done by Barr toward the end of his tenure, when he wasn't so aggressively just covering up everything for Donald Trump, you know, like he, the, the damage that he did to the Mueller investigation, right. that this might have been a good faith effort on the part of Barr even uh, to say that, uh, you know, and, and Mark, Mark says, uh, Mark Sumner says, that's not to say that Barr had that in mind when he authored the, men, the memo, but he thinks that this is actually a good thing. I could build either case, frankly. I agree with you, and Rachel Maddow has an, a tremendous fact-checking team. She does. So I but, feel the but same this way. Is, this is one of those things that's subject to interpretation, and it's interpretation by the Justice Department, too. Karen, i got to run, but thank you for the call, and, uh, and thank you for watching Free Speech TV. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On line with us, one of America's truly great patriots, Malcolm Nance, the uh, former U.S. intelligence uh, agent, authority, expert, uh, current expert, I would say, the author of numerous New York Times best-selling books, uh, most recently, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, and his new one, They Want to Kill Americans, right here in my hand. Um, Malcolm, welcome back to the program. I, I, you just got back from Ukraine, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't asked you your, what you learned from that, that trip and what message you'd like Americans to know about what that, you know, that situation over there. Well, as you know, or may not know, I was a member of the International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine. We are a infantry battalion assigned to the Ukrainian army. We are a full-time uh, combat force with a section of the 2,000 kilometers of front line facing Russian forces. Wow, this is like the uh, French Foreign Legion back in the day? Well, this is a little bit more involved than the French Foreign Legion. We're not assigned to individual outposts. We're much more currently closer to the, to the modern French Foreign Legion, where we go on combat operations, we go on combat missions, uh, and we do protect uh, you know, sections of the Ukrainian army, Ukrainian army line. We're attached to a brigade 
that's Ukrainian. We have Ukrainian officers, but we have people from 56 nations. Wow. And uh, it is really a very, very interesting situation. It is unlike the Spanish Civil War. These are not civilians running around, you know, in civilian clothes. We are combat soldiers in the Ukrainian army. And, uh, you know, I left uh, MSNBC and uh, the news media to come and, and offer my services. And, uh, you know, it is a it's a tough job, but I'm going back to it at the end of this week after this book tour is finished to go back to defending the eastern wing of the wall of democracy. Wow. Wow. I'm I'm I honor your your commitment. I, I really, and truly do this. This uh, uh, Russian war. Uh, I, I don't even want to call it a war. I, it, this is terrorism. What they what Putin is doing, is it not? It, it, it is. And that's because. The, you know, the intent of Russia's invasion was for the government to just collapse and turn over the country to them. And anyone who was there in the pre-war, I went down to Donetsk with the senior battle commanders in the Ukrainian army. And this is where the U.S. news media made a very big mistake. It was clear to me that the 250,000 Ukrainians were going to fight with hammer and tong. And that's precisely what they did. They were completely underestimated. They wiped out three entire Russian armies in the north and devastated their logistics trains. And now the Russians are doing this little incremental attacks in the east to take the borders of Donetsk and Luhansk, which was not what the intention was. The intention was to take the nation of Ukraine, eliminate its leadership, ground up its intellectuals, wipe out its language. And you don't have to believe me, the Russians said this. Vladimir Putin said this yep. himself. This was a war of, of national existence. And the Russians decided that uh, they were going to do it, and they are losing. They are losing badly. Well, and, and let's hope it continues. I, they're, they're, I'm sure there's twists and turns to come down the road. You have a new book out. It's called They Want to Kill Americans, The Malicious, Terrorist, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency. Um, by Malcolm Nance, who we're speaking with right now. Tell us about the book, Malcolm. What, what inspired you to write it, and what's the essential message of it? I started this book in August of 2020, a few months before the election. And some of the things that I was seeing, you know, I, I, I explained to people, it's very hard for them to understand why and how a journalist could be so fast on getting these analyses out. Um, this book was completed a year ago. The reason is, I'm not a journalist. I'm a spy that sparked on, that talked on television. So you were really getting the benefit of my career analyses without, you know, the, the, the typical procedures that journalists use. We generally steal our information. Journalists have to develop their information. But in this particular instance, I was monitoring the communications and chats of right wing extremists all around the United States. And it was clear they were weaponizing. They were spooling up for an attempt to either defend Donald Trump at the end of the election or overthrow the government after the election if they had lost. That was very clear. And I famously went on real time with Bill Maher on, on November 6th, two days after the election, and said the United States is going into a paramilitary insurgency by these armed Americans. So, um, you know, everything that I wrote came true. 62 days later, the insurrection happened but I want your audience to know that an insurrection is not an insurgency. An insurgency is many insurrections and political activities, which they reject the current government and then, of course, destabilize it so that they can overthrow that government. We're talking with Malcolm Nance's new book, They Want to Kill Americans. Uh, Mal Malcolm, how best can America respond to this? It, 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 it appears to me that at the core of the militia movement across the United States uh, basically is, uh, you know, white supremacist, uh, in large part, reaction, I think, to the Obama presidency. I, I was pointing out in the previous uh, segment that in, in 2005, every single Republican in the United States Senate voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act. In 2013, every single Republican in the Senate voted no to reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act. Um, mm. and, and, and it seems to me like, you know, in during Reconstruction, during that period, 18, 1866 to 1876, we had 1,500 African Americans elected to political office, 600 of them state legislatures, 18 in, the, in, in Congress, the federal Congress. And the blowback was the election of 1876 and, you know, stabbing black people in the back, basically, in 1877, ending Reconstruction. 
My sense is that we are in this second era of reconstruction, as it were, of trying to establish a multiracial, pluralistic, true democracy in this country. And, and it, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that, that racism seems to be driving an enormous amount of this Republican backlash. What say you? You know, you, your, your analogy of the Reconstruction era is very accurate. And what came out of that electing those black officials, allowing them equal opportunity under the law, the rise of the first revival of the Ku Klux Klan, yep. the Ku Klux Klan origins. But unlike what we're doing right now, when the Ku Klux Klan rose up, started killing politicians, started, uh, you know, um, taking over, threatening, intimidating communities. We used the U.S. Army to put them down ruthlessly, ruthlessly, elected in, uh, you know, arrested entire bodies of public officials who were part of the Klan. What's happening now is the exact opposite. They are being rewarded for their racism. The entire basis of what I call the Titus, T-I-T-U-S, which is the collective name of the Trump insurgency in the United States. That's Trump, his political party, the Republican Party, maintaining the political wing, the paramilitaries, the terrorists, that, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys maintaining the military wing, and then the typical base Republican voter who just hate everything, everything that America stands for now and, and idolizes Donald Trump. That is the Titus. It is a collective body of rejectionism of America. And what these people are basing all this on is straight up racism, white supremacy. And I don't want to hear from any of them that they're not racist because the entire basis of this, it really started with Barack Obama's election. Uh, you know, and their whole basis, if you listen to them, the Obama era was the worst era in modern American history. And you wonder, these people are so detached from reality that they don't care whether they live in a world of lies, so long as they can feel comfortable about the camouflage that is their white skin. I would not say this, you know, any differently if this was Papua New Guinea or if this was Burundi or if you had told me to do an analysis of, you know, Pol you know Polish electoral knowledge. There are foreign intelligence agencies writing reports about how the fundamental core racism of America has been reharnessed by their tribal leader, Donald Trump, and has given them permission to be openly indecent and openly racist in this country. And believe me, it's gonna get a lot worse. So how do we as a nation fight back against this? Uh, we, uh, the, the one big difference between now and 1877 is that uh, right now the 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 fifth you know the, the five year olds going into school are about fifty fifty you know white people and 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 people of color whereas you know back then it was a very very different <laughs> scenario we've got you know a zoomer generation that is committed to pluralistic multiracial democracy right. that seems to me like a good thing you know a, a good start mm -hmm. yeah it is a good thing it's a great start it's it's the fulfillment of the American dream it's us you know harnessing our better angels. However, one third of this nation, and they're older, they're my age, they're, you know, for the most part, and they're young children, all right, who are relatively wealthy, not poor. These aren't the poor whites. Yes, they do have a lot of Walmart shoppers. These are the people, as the Washington Post study showed, own a, a vacation house, own a very large boat. You know, you might remember the Trump boat parades, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you wonder, where are these people with the giant trucks that can go and, you know, drive around at one mile per yeah, gallon? Yeah, $60,000 trucks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Go, you know, feel that they are losing America. What they believe that they are losing is that they are losing their position of absolute power and authority and that they have to, God forbid, share in the American experiment. Thomas Ricks, the political writer, put it, I'm going to paraphrase him, where he said, there is an entire body of white America that have decided that if they can't have their version of America, their white supremacist, white nationalist version of America, then they don't want America. They will turn this country into a straight up Trump or DeSantis led dictatorship to rule over the other 65 percent of the country. Yeah, and DeSantis is demonstrating his uh, racist chops with his 
you know, book banning and anti-CRT laws down in Florida. Um, so, uh, Malcolm, we just have a minute or so until we, we're going to hit a hard break here. What, what's your advice for Americans right across the board, from, from you know, uh, black Americans to your, your white uh, allies? This November is the defining election of American history. And we said that in 2020. It was true. Now it's back again. We're in extra innings. If we lose this election to the Republicans in the House or the Senate, the American democracy ends. The American Republic ends. They will codify dictatorship. They have said they will do it. And they've also said they will come after every individual who opposed them. I take them at their word. And these armed Americans are the ones who are going to execute that strategy. There's the one thing that we can do, and that's people power. They cannot stand people standing up to them. We have to turn out 20 to 25% more than we turned out in 2018 to, to overwhelmingly defeat the, the, the strategies that they put in place to take the vote from blacks. But they are relying on apathy of blacks and Latinos and Hispanic and women. And we must wipe that out. We have to mobilize everyone to save America. Amen. The book is They Want to Kill Americans. The author, Malcolm Nance. Malcolm, thanks so much for dropping by. And stay safe when you get back to Ukraine, please. And give us, a, give us a report from time to time. Thanks a lot. And uh, welcome back. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve. My pleasure, Tom. Thank you so much for what you do. I'm honored to be following in the wake of Malcolm Nance. Yeah, he's, he's quite a my, guy. Yeah, I've read several of his books. And I'm, just to begin with, I would probably agree with you conservatively with 90% of the positions you take. But where I'm at these days is I think the only thing that we progressives need to do is focus on abortion, number one, and number 1.5 is gun control. Because the only thing that will do what Malcolm Nance proposes is to get the people to go to the voting polls to vote. And I think abortion is the one issue that will motivate the populace. I think I think you're so right. That those, other, no, I think both those issues will, you know, I mean, there's there's widespread uh, support for, re, you know, bringing back the assault weapons ban, for example. I mean, widespread I got support. It. So, yeah, I think they're both. I, I think, think you're right. Not that I can tell you what to do, because I have total respect for who you are as a scholar and a historian. I've read several of your books. I think all of these other issues, including climate, are a distraction. We can't afford it. LGBT, all these issues that make so much sense to people of conscience are a distraction, and it's part of the red herrings and the, the distraction that the Republican Party is going to throw at us. And folks like yourself, the more we can focus on harnessing the, 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 the reaction to abortion and to, and to the automatic weapons, the more likely we are to get people to the polls. Yeah. That's the only thing that happens. As I, I'm with you, Steve. We have to, and you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But that said, when you're running an election, you basically can't run on more than three issues. And we have to decide what those three issues are. And I think certainly the two of them are abortion and guns. The third one, you know, we can debate. Thank you for the call. Lewis in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lewis, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Um, this is something that people haven't been talking much about but i think the we're not going to be able to win this war against like the rights and fascism and authoritarianism without the help of of the mainstream media and hear me out really quick i feel that we need to put pressure on individual anchors on msnbc and cnn to sort of persuade voters to go out and vote for democrats um in a right-wing dictatorship in dictatorships, period, journalists are usually the first people they go against. It doesn't matter if they work for corporations. They're still going to go after them because they are uh, liberals. Um, and one way that they can do this in a big way is report, first of all, report on how Republicans voted against measures to lower gas prices, how they voted against measures to ease the baby formula shortage, how they uh, voted against lowering drug prices, and report on these kinds of things every single day to remind the voters uh, uh, what's at stake and what yeah, what, what you're, what you're really arguing like. for, uh, Lewis, is the old work the refs strategy that Lee Atwater was pitching back in the 80s. 
You know, whenever the media says anything that's unfavorable to Republicans or is favorable to Democrats, they would jump all over those individual reporters and yell and scream about them until they all got gun shy. It really worked. I agree. We need to be doing essentially the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Only in reverse, obviously. Lewis, thank you. Thank you. Spot on. Stick around. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. The Secret Service has just notified the January 6th committee and the National Archives that they are unable to retrieve the uh, text messages from their agents from January 5th and January 6th. They are irretrievably lost. I got to tell you, in my opinion, you know, keep in mind, you know, one of the top guys in the Secret Service, uh, Tony Arnato, was hired by Donald Trump in the weeks around January 6th to go from the Secret Service to being his deputy chief of staff, his number two to Mark Meadows for security. So it looks to me like Trump succeeded in corrupting the Secret Service, and now they are trying to cover that up in order to protect themselves as an institution. That's my theory. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I would, you know, I do not like to see federal agencies corrupted, particularly police agencies. But it is sure looking like it. So picking up your phone calls, Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Wow, that's exactly the lead-in I would not even have hoped for uh, vis-a-vis the Secret Service having been corrupted. Although my uh, read, and uh, this is going to I think these two things are very upsetting, this is, which is why I called, because, you know, I only call when I'm upset. Um, so you're going to have to talk me off the ledge here today because I'm really about to throw myself into traffic. I swear this old man has had it. I want your opinion on two things, please. I'll go quickly, as you know. Attorney General Garland's memo of what was it, May 22 of just this year, just eight weeks ago, two months ago, that Rachel Maddow revealed on her program. Yeah. You know of it, of course. There's a, there's a pretty business. decent thread over at Daily Kos arguing that the memo actually might be a good thing rather than a bad thing, that basically he's, he's trying to depoliticize the Department of Justice. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm ambivalent. I, I, I think it could be interpreted either way, and it's, and it's one of those things where it's not so much the law, it's who's enforcing the law and interpreting the law. Well, yes. Exactly. So we'll we'll find out. I mean, you know, if, if Don, but if, yes, but I but I but I suspect that if Donald Trump thinks that by declaring his candidacy for president he can immediately stop all investigations, I think he's living in la la land. I don't. I would disagree completely on that. Yeah. Well, uh, and I we'll hope see. I'm the one who's wrong. Yeah, I hope I'm too. the one who's wrong. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, and I was going to call in about this before I heard your uh, discussion with um, Malcolm Nance. Did you catch the uh, podcast that Nance had with Al Franken on Saturday? I did not. I did not. It was about his new book, They Want to Kill Americans. He went a great deal further. Nance went a great deal further than he went with your discussion earlier. And I want to point two things out to people that I think need to be considered really carefully with Im- immense attention. He pointed out that AR-15 ammunition, believe it or not, what an odd subject, but AR-15 ammunition has gone from 25 cents pre-January 6th insurrection to now $1.39. 25 cents to $1.39. This is almost, this is five-something times. Why? Not because mass shooters in schools are stockpiling ammunition. It's because the far-right militias are stockpiling it. Right. or what Nance described as an inevitable civil war that is upcoming, and he said with Al Franken, and it will be considerably sooner than most people think. 
Okay. It will take only one major event, possibly during an election, to set them off like a bomb. And that these domestic terrorists are not to be taken lightly. Nance was so strident about all this, I nearly lost my lunch, I swear. And I listened to it, by the way, because of uh, another of your moderators on YouTube, Connor Arroyo, who linked me up to that. Thank you, Connor. I think. It was the mo one of the most upsetting half hours I've listened to in a long time. Nance was so vehement, vehement about everything he was saying. And as I said, he went so much farther than he went with your discussion when he was you know, simply saying that they were dangerous people, essentially. He, he says civil war is inevitable, and, that, and if I remember correctly, and I'm pretty sure I do, he said it would be within two years maximum. Now, this is serious. Malcolm Nance, as you know, as you just I mean, that's why you had him on. This is a man whose opinion should be respected. Yeah, he's no dummy. He is no dummy. Now, so I want your opinion on that as well, if you'd be so kind, because I, you've you got know, to talk I, I think I'm it's, about ready to throw myself into traffic. I think it's entirely possible, but don't throw yourself in traffic. I mean, you know, you, we, we deal with situations when we come to them. Um, I, I, I am hopeful that the government of the United States has this in hand, that, that, you know, that there are serious investigations of these groups going on by the FBI and others. And uh, mm -hmm. although I'm not... I'm not optimistic that that's actually happening in a big way. I'm not either. But, I'm not either. You know, that's that would be the appropriate response. I don't think the appropriate response yeah. is for for you and me and everybody else to go out and get our very own AR-15s. No, I don't either. I don't either by any means at all. I'm not a, not the shooter type. But there's like 20 million I'm, I'm in circulation. I'm, I'm, in you know, if it's States. fight or flee, I'm fleeing. I listen. I fled to the mountains of San Cristobal 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not about to uh, start shooting somebody. I'm, because I am afraid of them even. I'm definitely fight or flee. I'm flee. Okay. I'm the flee. Oh, so, no. Okay. Well, Nicholas, uh, thank you for the call. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've taught you off the ledge, but, you know, step by step. Not quite, but we're I thank you for trying. Okay. Good talking to you, Nicholas. Thank you. Gary in Kansas City, Kansas. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, I just wanted to say that I don't think we're headed to a civil war, as Malcolm Nance uh, uh, had implied we might be. And the reason I think that is because of the January 6th hearings and the public trials of Trump conspirators that uh, will most likely change public opinion. Uh, America has a long history of powerful public hearings that change the way the public looks at things. Uh, you can look at the Scopes Monkey Trial, which had a huge impact. Uh, the Nuremberg Trials after World War II that had an amazing impact. The McCarthy hearings, uh, which backfired on McCarthy and ended up changing public opinion against him. The Watergate hearings and Nixon. And now we come to the January 6th hearings. And I think our public hearings our laundering of the dirty laundry, our exposing of the cockroaches by shining daylight onto them. That's America's strength, and that's what will save us from civil war. That's a very, uh, not just a positive perspective, Gary, but I think probably a very accurate one. I'm, I'm hopeful that the, that the hearings don't just basically pin the tail on the orange donkey, you know? that, that mm -hmm. they also point out that there's, this is part of a larger movement, that this existed long before Donald Trump came along, um, that he simply tapped into it and rode the back of it. You know, he jumped on that particular tiger. And, uh, you know, they've got at least one more hearing. It's going to be this Thursday. Uh, Benny Thompson has tested positive for COVID. So whether he's going to come in by Skype or whether he's going to hand it over to Liz Cheney, we'll see. But uh, they, they've said they're not going to postpone it. I am hopeful that and it's supposed to focus on Trump. But, uh, you know, my hope is that it'll also focus on Trump's association with these white supremacist, you know, these armed white supremacist organizations that have essentially become the paramilitary wing of the Republican Party. I, I think it's a, a very dangerous thing. But, Gary, thank you. That, I, I sure. love that perspective. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to add exactly, and I also hope the committee has time to get into some of the financing of these movements and some of the wealthy people that may be behind it. Yeah, amen, amen. This is not happening in a vacuum. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much. Lenny in, uh, or Lanny, excuse me, in Palm Springs, California. Hey, Lanny, what's on your mind today? 
You know, I've been thinking about these high gas prices and what can be done about it. You know, these ga- the gas companies, their cost of production has not gone up that much since the gas prices went way up. No, their it's profits have, though. On these- what? Their profits yeah, have, that. though. Their profits, they're, because they're basing it on the worldwide inflated price because of the Russian war. Yep. So I was thinking, can't Congress pass a law, the Defense Act or whatever, to require the gas companies to base their cost, their sale of gas, based on their cost of production and distribution and not on this worldwide inflated price? They could, the and, and, it would, and, and, it's, and it, there wouldn't be a precedent. I mean, there is a precedent for that, which is you know the, some of the laws that Franklin Roosevelt passed during World War II. And frankly, Nixon had wage price controls, too, and this would fall into the category of price controls. The problem, Lanny, is you're not going to find a single Republican who is going to vote for that, and they will filibuster it in the Senate. But, Lanny, good try. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM, too. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same channel. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. There's all kinds of ways to participate in our democracy. Number one, make sure that your voter registration has not been purged by a Republican Secretary of State. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. See you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.